Did you know that US employees are more likely to have a CEO named David or Michael than they are to have a woman? After an analysis of a thousand of the world's largest companies, it was found out that just 6.4% of those CEOs were women versus 93.6 who were men. It's statistics like these that are exactly why I started the Amplify Her Networking Group, a space where women can come together in community to chat about their careers, their growth, becoming CEOs, asking the hard questions while negotiating, and so, so much more. We talk about pay transparency and helping each other get paid more. Our next meeting is on June 7th at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And if you'd like to join, your first meeting is free. Head to AmplifyHerMedia.com backslash networking to sign up for our next meeting on June 7th at 1 p.m. Because you deserve to be heard, you deserve to have your needs met, and you deserve a wonderful community cheering you on while you're doing it all. Hello and welcome to the Amplify Her podcast. I am your host, Christina Singh, and the Amplify Her podcast is all about amplifying and uplifting women's voices and stories. Enjoy the truck that just drove by in the background. If you are a longtime listener of the show, you will know that I always have Brooklyn in the background until I get a new mic, which is far too expensive for me right now. But enjoy Brooklyn in the background. Well, we connect and chat. I cannot express enough how excited I am to be back after a two-week break um, recording and just sitting and spending time chatting with you all. It feels like it's just right (laughs) that my soul just feels right doing this and being here with you all I took the last two weeks off um because for my full-time role I um was planning our annual event our largest event of the year which is a 500 person gala and it's a lot of work um and I really had a hard time making a decision to step away. But I realized if I didn't, I would not be bringing you all the best version of myself. And I wanted to show up in the best way. And I didn't really want to half-ass it. So I'm here. I'm so thrilled and Oh, I'm so excited about this week's episode. Um, On the show this week is someone that, to be honest, I mean, this happens time and time again, where I reach out to incredible women and say, hey, I adore your work. I would love to have you on the show. And they say, yes. <laughs> and 
I mean, not yes questioning it. I'm questioning the yes. I'm just like, oh my God. And every time this happens with someone I adore and admire and look up to and have I follow online and really want to connect with, I I'm really like beside myself because it really does mean so much to me. So on the show this week is someone I've followed online for a long time, Elizabeth, aka Nurse Zabe. Um, and Elizabeth, aka Nurse Zabe, is a labor and postpartum nurse. She has 10 years of experience and she's a certified childbirth educator. She's also a mom to three freaking Wonder Woman over here. And she has a passion for empowering families during birth and beyond with evidence-based information. Uh, This is how I found Elizabeth. She provides free information through YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok to make learning about childbirth educational and fun. You can find her at Nurse Zabe on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. And she wanted to let me... Um, say to you all that May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And um, in this conversation, we talk about postpartum depression and mental health. And I think I just want to give a trigger warning for that. Um, We also talk about the Black maternal health crisis and how important it is in this country. And um, yeah, I just want to offer a content warning just so so you have that in case you need it. But Elizabeth is someone that I found, and I talk about this during our conversation, but I want to mention it again here. I found Elizabeth um, when I got pregnant, late 2019 and early 2020. You know, when you get pregnant as, as long, I mean, when, according to my experience, <laughs> I, I'll just say that. When I got pregnant, I was looking up so many videos about education, birth education, pregnancy education. Um, What I will say is I wish I had looked up more videos about postpartum education and how to take care of a newborn and a child in general, because pregnancy is very brief. Birth is very brief, 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 but... Um, postpartum is forever and until you are no longer on this earth. And so I will say that, but when I was looking at educational videos and sifting through them, I came across, um, Elizabeth's video that was like 10 things your labor nurse wants you to know before going to the hospital. And it was so lovely, so informative and, Elizabeth just has this welcoming, friendly, understanding demeanor where no matter who you are, she's going to meet you where you are. And I watched so many of her videos. She's hilarious, so informative and educational. Um, And I have admired her work from afar for so long that I really wanted to connect with her and just talk about her journey and how she approaches her work. Um, So that's exactly what I did. And I'm thrilled to say that she is just as lovely on 
on our virtual platform. Hopefully I get to meet her one day in person, but she is just as lovely as I thought she would be. And I'm so excited for you to listen. So let's jump into it. And I do want to mention, please go follow her on all of her platforms and spread the word about her work. She is lovely. Let's jump in um, now with Elizabeth, aka Nurse Zabe. Enjoy. Elizabeth, I am so excited that you're on the Amplify Her podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you today. I am. I mean, we chatted beforehand. We've been having some tech issues and it's been pretty fun. Um, our Luckily, we're aligned in our tech issues today, but um, I am having a bit of a fangirl moment because I adore your videos and your content. And it it's so weird meeting you virtually because I feel like I kind of know you even though we've never met like it's such a strange thing having like parasocial relationships right it's so wild it's it's really fun and that's one of the things that I I really do enjoy about being on social media in general is just getting to have um conversations with people sometimes I'll chat with somebody you know in dms and comments throughout their whole pregnancy. And then they send me a picture of the baby afterwards. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, like, it's just a really beautiful thing for the most part. Yes. For the most part, for sure. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I, I, I know that you are a labor and delivery nurse Mm -hmm. and you have been posting on YouTube for a while. Yeah. For a while. And you are on social media. Um, and I, was pregnant in 2020. And when I found out I was pregnant, I was searching online for all sorts of videos and I came across your channel and I came across one, I think of one of your more popular videos that was like 10 things you need to know, um, from a labor and delivery nurse before you go to the hospital. And I loved that video because of how kind you were and how informative you are. And, and, and like your kindness really shines through in your videos. And so I just watched so many of your videos before I gave birth to my son in 2020. And I wanted to connect with you because I find your content so informative, so inclusive and just understanding and understanding of people's situations, choices, lives from every aspect of, of where they are in their life. And I'm curious, I have two questions off the bat. Mm -hmm. What made you decide to record yourself and post content online? Yeah. That's my first question. So, so what made you decide to take action in that way? So I actually did not start off as a channel about like labor nursing specifically. Oh, wow. So when I first started on YouTube, it was 2015. My original username was Zaby Baby 2015. Incredible. My husband and I were, we've been married for a few years and we were trying to have a baby. And so way back when, right, gosh, that's what, eight, nine years ago, um, in 2015, that wasn't eight, nine years ago. I'm not very good at math, but um, 
people like had like trying to conceive channels on YouTube and family channels were just kind of taking off. And so Mm -hmm. that was the kind of content that I enjoyed watching. And so that was what my original channel was, was like trying to conceive updates and like talking about that kind of stuff. Um, Because obviously I've never shied away from any of the things involving (laughs) childbirth. Um, And then kind of from there, I posted Um, it was, and then I would do like cleaning and organizing videos and just like anything that I wanted basically. And, you know, maybe had like a thousand subscribers, not a whole bunch. I posted the 10 things your labor nurse wants you to know video. And then like maybe a year and a half later, I wasn't even making content anymore. That video went viral. Yeah. And it went viral before 2020. Um, but I think 2020 and the pandemic and all of that, when people really like lost their village and they lost any in-person childbirth communicate communications with like childbirth educators, you know, through their hospital, they lost the ability to perhaps have a doula or other support systems there. People were really turning to the internet. Um, And so that's when my channel has really, really flourished. But once that video went viral, which was maybe in 2018 or 2019. I'm not hundred percent sure on my lore. Right. Um, (laughs) But I was like, Oh, this is what people are interested in. And, and like you said, um, just that I came from it. A lot of people originally, when they were commenting on that video, were like, I was expecting this to be mean. I was expecting this to be rude. And I was expecting to feel defensive and that that was not what I brought to the table. Um, And that's what, I mean, most people who are posting childbirth education stuff online, hopefully aren't bringing that to the table. Right. But um, that that's what maybe people's experience previously had been with, you know, labor nurses saying, this is what your labor nurse wants you to know to serve me better. But the video was actually, how can you serve yourself better um, in preparing for childbirth? So, yeah, I, that's how we got here. <laughs> okay. Beautiful. While you're talking, I was like kind of getting a little emotional because no, I definitely was getting a, a, emotional. I because when you're saying people lost their tribe or their community, like that is so how I felt during that time. Like I my my family lives across the country from where I am and it was never ever something I thought like I never thought my mom would not be at my birth you know I never thought my parents wouldn't be able to meet my child right away and um, I wouldn't be able to like I didn't go to classes in person I didn't have a baby shower in person like all of these things that I had like a lot of expectations around were all online and you know I took a breastfeeding course on like every course I took was online but then I had your videos and I had a few other creators videos like you were saying where you started, cause I know you've created more videos and more educational videos since then that were really comprehensive. And, um, I know you have your cervix sweater <laughs> that, worn that bust out, which like was immensely helpful for me. <laughs> and so what you're saying just really resonates with me because I was that, I, I mean, it might sound so strange, but I've been watching you for a while. Like I've oh. been, following your journey. And, um, it's, I'm grateful that you made that video and that you decided to post more because 
I think that the biggest, one of the biggest things, if not the biggest thing that I learned about childbirth is there's so much we don't talk about. There's Mm -hmm. so much that we don't discuss when it comes to giving birth to a child and let alone raising a child after you give birth, but the process and when you made that video, when it started to go viral and you heard from people watching this video and, and subsequently your additional ones that you created, did you hear a lot of that? Like, I didn't know about this or, um, oh, I had no idea that this was an option. Like, did you, does that resonate with you around this topic? It really, it really does. So I have like the 10 things your labor nurse wants you to know about kind of series, but then I also have 10 things you didn't know about um, because both with being pregnant and giving birth and then also breastfeeding, there's so much mystery and there's so much misinformation out there. And so my goal always is to give you the best, most up-to-date information. And really, especially in regards to giving birth, kind of lay out all the options and choices. And obviously you might pick something that's very different from what I would pick. And that doesn't mean that it's a bad option or choice. It's what's best and right for you. But if you don't know that there's an array of options, um, then you're just kind of going and you don't even get the menu. You just say, well, we have a cheeseburger and you didn't know that there was a cheeseburger and a hamburger and the option even for French fries. Right. And so if you don't know that there's things that you can add or subtract and you don't know that you have that patient autonomy, I think that that's really limiting and then kind of defines the narrative of your birth too. And for some people they go in and it's totally positive and everything goes exactly to plan, but when things aren't going to plan and then you feel so out of control, I think that that is one thing that hopefully getting some education beforehand um, kind of helps to combat. Yeah. And I'm, I would love to go, obviously so much of what you do is informed by your career and this is really in conjunction with your career. So Mm. I would love to learn um, how exactly you became a labor and delivery nurse. Like what, what prompted you to pursue that particular Avenue in the first place? Yeah. Yeah. So for nursing in the United States, at least you can get an associate's degree or a bachelor's degree. Um, So a two-year or four-year program, and then you have your RN, your registered nurse, and then you go from there to wherever you want to work to get further training. So I didn't go to school thinking I'm going to be this type of nurse and this is how I get that training. We kind of learn about everything and then you go and specialize. So I initially thought that I wanted to be a NICU nurse, um, which is the neonatal intensive care unit. And then I went into a NICU and it was, the, the babies are very little and yeah. it's very stressful and, and it's a lot. And I am so fascinated by those births and by, um, and so just in awe of parents who are having to, to deal with those challenges there, but that didn't really speak to my heart the same way that labor and delivery did. So when I did my rotation in labor and delivery and postpartum, especially, I was like, oh, this is, this is speaking to my heart because it's really right. We have people all walk walks of life are coming in in general to do the very same thing. And they're bringing their own outside social situations and their own outside experiences. And then we are trying to help kind of shape them and give them the information and the tools that they need to go out and like raise a baby, which is wild. And so Mm -hmm. 
Um, in my nursing program, the last semester, you do something called a practicum where you go and you work on a unit and you're paired up with a nurse and you kind of work their schedule. And so I was able to actually go to my current facility where I work and it's a LDRP unit. So it's labor and delivery recovery and postpartum. So I get to do both postpartum nursing and labor nursing, which is nice because I get to follow patients throughout their, their yeah. stay. So I was there for those six months that semester. Um, I guess maybe like three months or so actually, and was offered a job as a new grad to go work on that unit. And I went and I worked postpartum for a year or two, and then was trained as a labor nurse after that. And I have worked there for the whole 10 years of my career Wow! Um, at this, this facility. Um, and it's a really amazing facility. Obviously we always are, are learning and growing, but I feel like they do a really good job respecting patient autonomy. And they also do a really good job at preventing primary cesarean births, which is obviously a goal when those can be prevented, just kind of with all of the other things that happen with having major abdominal surgery. Mm -hmm. um, that's a big push from the World Health Organization. So definitely something that we're all focused on. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I think that what's so um, what's so wonderful about your work and for, I mean, in general, it's just beautiful work, but I also love that you've taken the things that you've learned and ha you have this goal to amplify it and to put it out there into the world and really ensure that like people know, here's everything I'm learning and everything I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So when you made that decision, um, were you scared to like put, start putting those videos out there, you know, your 10 things you need to know series or like, was it easy and you just wanted to get it out there and, and have people be informed? What was the thought process like around that? Um, I've never been nervous to put out this information and make sure that we all, you know, have the most up-to-date evidence-based information because that's, really important for me. I think putting myself personally out on the internet, right? You're going to get all sorts of feedback. And in general, mine has been like 99% positive. Um, I do have one video that came out early in the pandemic that was about like tips for laboring with a mask on. And it wasn't like you should, you shouldn't, but some places this was like the policy and some people were going to do it and some people weren't. And so I just wanted to give tips. And that video got a lot of pushback. Um, wow. And then of course, like anytime we're using inclusive language or we're speaking about like the um, like black maternal health crisis, that also gets pushed back. Um, but those really? are both things that are important to speak about. Yeah. Yeah. Everything has become politicized, which is just such a bummer because I think it takes away from the importance and the reason behind it. Yeah. Um, so. I, I talk a lot about um, race and equity on this show and um, white supremacy culture and a lot of um, inequity around um, race and birth as well. I've, I've mentioned that on this show quite a bit. And I'm, I've always found your videos to be very like patient forward and wanting to support your patient as much as possible and giving them, you know, like you just said, helping your patients to feel empowered about their choices and, and really um, feel supported. I'm curious, you know, obviously there is a black maternal health crisis in our country. Yeah. I'm curious how 
you you um speak to that in your videos and what you want people to know about this crisis well i think i think as a healthcare professional right and and i'm i if you guys are they going to is there going to be video to this or is it yes. just okay i'm i'm a white girl from the south okay um but I think as a healthcare professional, I have to be aware of the biases that are just in the system and then of my own personal biases that are present just from growing up as a white girl in the South. And when I have patients who look differently from me, um, you'll have people say, you know, I don't see color um, or I treat everybody the same. But for me personally, kind of how I've looked at that is like, if you don't see color, um, and you treat everybody the same, that's not how we take care of people in healthcare to have the best outcomes. Like if you have a patient who comes in with preeclampsia or high risk pregnancy or X, Y, and Z, we're not going to treat them exactly the same as somebody who comes in with something differently. And because we know that there are these underlying biases in our system that lead to poor outcomes, we have to look at patients, particularly those who do look differently from us and say, how is the system impacting this patient? And how can I be somebody who listens um, to this patient and make sure that their voice is amplified because at the end of the day, I don't work for the system. Um, at least in my heart, I work for the patients and I am there to amplify their voices and I am there to make sure that their concerns are heard and addressed by the, the whole team. Yeah. And so that's kind of how I, I look at that. And I, of course, I'm always ready and eager to learn more and to, to do the best that I can for, for my patients and for the community. Well, I feel like that's the goal. And the need and the desire of when you go into a doctor's office, because ultimately everything that we're talking about is so vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Everything that, you know, growing a human is really vulnerable. Birthing a human is really vulnerable. And you're in a situation where you're putting a lot of trust in your body and yourself to be able to do this thing that your body is able to do for so many of us, but that's a vulnerable state to trust other people to make sure you're safe and okay. And walking into an office, walking into a practice where you are now saying, okay, I trust you to be able to bring something so, so precious in my body out into the world. I mean, I, uh, you have birthed three humans, correct? And yes. I have birthed one. And I have never felt more vulnerable than during my births. To have that trust be violated um, is something that should be taken really seriously. And to have something like you were saying, unconscious bias or acknowledged bias come into play is something that I feel, you know, should be taken really seriously and addressed because it's there. It's, it's tangible. We can understand that through data. I'm curious how, you know, this vulnerability and being with people and seeing people has impacted your life throughout your career. Hmm. I think um, you know, when you first start off, especially when you're first being trained, you are being trained to read the, the fetal heart rate tracings and you're being trained to uh, assist during a cesarean birth. You're being trained to keep 
the body physically healthy and safe. And I think as you go through your nursing career, I, I still think all those things are so important. And I still work on mastering all of those and doing continuing education and making sure, right, that we're up to date. But there's also equally as important is to keep um, the the person the person safe um, mentally and f- as well as physically. And I think that there, for me, that's the biggest thing where I've seen a shift twofold. One, to protect the birthing space and to protect the person who's birthing in that space and realizing that sometimes that isn't loud and that isn't um, every position change in the book, but that's just holding space for people and meeting them where they are um, has been a shift. And even to still, like when I'm working with nurses who are newer um, and I'm just, I'm I'm in awe of, of how passionate they are and how ready they are. Um, and one thing that I think that keeps people coming is to, to learning to be a nurse and learning to be a labor nurse is that passion and that care for patients. Um, but I think as I've grown meeting people where they are and figuring out actually how I can take that passion and kind of meet where they're coming to the birth from is, is really important. And sometimes that's being quiet and sometimes that's guarding the nest and keeping their birth space quiet in addition to just being there and being like the active cheerleader too. Like you have to be able to read a room, if that makes sense. 100%. I mean, I am, I I also think like when you come into a space to give birth, you want to be able to state your needs. And Mm -hmm. sometimes that can be really challenging for people who are doing this every single day, who are around this space who are going through protocol, you know, who are checking their boxes. I think that can be really challenging to like meet that person and be like, okay, but here's what I need. And I am that type. I'm a recovering people pleaser. I always say where when I step into a room, I want to make sure everyone's okay. But in this instance, you're trying to make sure you're okay and you can say what you need. And that can be really challenging. And I look to my providers or the people who I'm around um, to give me that cue. And I always appreciate when I'm given the cue Mm -hmm. and when I'm like given that, I don't want to say permission because you always have the permission to ask for what you need, but Mm -hmm. there's like an exchange of comfort and allowing people to have that space have you been in instances where you can tell people are afraid to ask for what they need and and how have you given that space and that permission? Like what are some things that you've interfaced with, with this particular piece? Um, well, <laughs> one thing that we say in labor and delivery is that it's kind of like Vegas there and what happens there stays there. Right. Um, and I think I remember this one instance specifically, I had this patient who I'll never forget. Um, she was laboring unmedicated. She was doing everything and, and really giving it her all. And every time she would have a contraction, she would say um, some like, like she would be like, oh, frick, or like, um, I don't know, other like words that weren't actually curse words. And I was like, 
somehow joking with with them in between contractions about how you know like um once we start really cursing that's how we'll know like that this is it and she said oh when you're not in here I'm cursing I was like girl you can curse like this is a safe place and I'll let you know that the f word is my mantra when I'm in labor <laughs> um, so kind of putting people at ease that way too because like right when you're trying to people please like just thinking about it from like physiologically um, you are in your neocortex, you're in like your upper level thinking. And when you're in labor, the part of your brain that does that is the part that all other mammals have, which is not the neocortex. It is like the, the midbrain and the lower brain. And that's where you need to be in labor. So you honestly, like when people start being rude to me, I'm like, we are getting places, things are progressing. And, you know, as, as also a recovering people pleaser, like I, I really try not to take offense when people are like, oh my gosh, like, I've had a patient before be like, can you stop talking? And I'm like, oh yeah. But also, oh yeah, because you're like rooting for your, for them to, to stand up for what they want. So um, yeah, just giving people that permission to know that they don't have to be a people pleaser and also laying out the options, particularly when somebody comes in real, you know, in early labor or for an induction and being like, okay, well, when you give birth, here are some of the things that are options. Let's talk about those now, figure it out so that you're not having to make a decision long down the road. And yeah, you can totally change your mind if you want, but you know, like how, when are we going to like clamp and cut the cord? Like, do you want postpartum Pitocin? Things like that. Talking about those earlier is definitely a way that we too can kind of open up that avenue so that when they're delivering and they told me, Hey, I want to push on my side. And the doctor comes in and says, get on your back. I can say, Oh, she said she wanted to push on her side. Right. Um, we're going to go ahead and try that, you know? So yeah. I'm really advocating for patients in that way. Well, you are that advocate because it can be so overwhelming. I mean, mm -hmm. you're not able to talk, you know, sometimes like, yeah. and if your partner is also overwhelmed or is not as like assertive, that can be really challenging too. Well, one thing I really wanted to talk to you about, um, because like I was saying, you are that advocate. My partner made flashcards when I was going into labor, but I remember we didn't use them. And he also, I remember I was pushing and he was, you know, so sweet and doing the, the breathing exercises mm -hmm. and was like, okay, he, you know, and, and I mm -hmm. said, stop breathing. <laughs> like, I will never forget that because it's so funny from an outside perspective, like he needs to breathe to survive, Christina, but like, he like just stopped breathing at me. And it's those moments of like permission where I remember I had my husband holding one leg, a nurse holding another leg. It's so wild. It's wild. It's the wild, wild west when you're giving birth. Right. Yeah. And <laughs> I will never forget that realization of like, yes, this is fearful, but also this is real. And it's not, um, it's not like you put on the cute robe and then you have a baby mm -hmm. and everything's just fine. It's like birth is bloody and gnarly and primal. And I guess you just don't realize that unless you're in your position or you're starting to give birth. And I like, I, I wish that narrative changed a little bit so we could talk about it more openly and honestly. And I feel like through your work, you do that. Um, have you, 
have you seen people, I mean, I, you see people change literally every day of your life when through this work, because it really is life-changing, but was there a realization, I guess I should say for you, where you realized birth was very different than you thought it would be? Um, I think when I had my first baby yeah, and I was a brand new little labor nurse and I really like, I didn't take a childbirth class and I'd seen a handful of what? people <laughs> give birth without an epidural. And I thought that I knew what to expect. My labor coping toolbox was like, I'll get in the tub. And then when I got in the tub and I was like, now I'm wet and painful. This is not it. <laughs> Right. And I was, I, my water broke and I didn't immediately go into labor. And so I got, um, IV Pitocin to kind of get my contraction pattern starting. And then it's, it very much started fast and furious. And I remember thinking to myself, if I rip this IV out of my arm, then the Pitocin will stop and the contractions will stop. So like, Mm. I, I don't know if it's that you can never truly know until you know, I think a little bit of that, but I also think if you prepare so many things in that labor coping toolbox and you have a lot of things that you can go through, you might try one thing. Like you might've really thought, oh yes, counter pressure. I so want that. And then in the moment, if somebody touches you during labor, you want to like smack them in the face. And so having actual like multiple things prepared to kind of cycle through. And yeah, an epidural is totally something to have prepared. But for me, even with my first, I had an epidural. It didn't work um, on one side of my body for still probably about an hour after it was placed. And so I, I don't know that I, I still wasn't ready to cope through that thinking I was going to be pain-free and still dealing with contractions. So Yeah, my own birth, that was very eye-opening. And I think that's when I really, I mean, even over, you know, through the last few years, and I've had two more babies since then, every time I'm at a birth, I learn something new. Every time I have a baby, I learn something new. So I don't even know what the question was, but yeah, I think (laughs) I had a baby is the answer. It was when did birth become really like, when did you really understand what it was like? And I mean, I... I feel that so hard. And I also feel like after you give birth, you like collect birth stories, like a deck of cards. You're like, tell me everything. Like, I feel like there's just such a bonding experience that I've experienced with other people who've given birth where I'm like, what, what was your experience? Like, what did you do? Because these are things that I never interfaced with before I was in this situation, before I was pregnant and needed to know, but it did also help me realize just how important it is for this education to happen on every single level and how important and essential it is for this education to happen and how stifled this education is around what exactly happens during pregnancy, labor, and then postpartum. Because I had a pretty gnarly postpartum experience. And so I just feel like your videos have offered and your work in general has offered, you know, that space for people to learn more and interface more. Is that overwhelming for you to, to feel, or is it like, yes, like let's, let's educate more people. And like, let's put this information out there. Like is feedback like that, like when your video went viral, when more people were 
interfacing mm-hmm. with you? Like, is that overwhelming? It is overwhelming because I, especially Instagram DMs, I try and reply to all of them. But as you, as you saw, like you messaged me and then I was like, oh yes, I want to be on this podcast. And then the interface for the Instagram DMs, you can't like search by keywords only if you know somebody's username. And then I couldn't remember what yours were, what yours was. And you had to reach out again, but like, I really try. And, you know, if somebody asks me a question, I can't give medical advice online, right? I'm not your doctor, but I might be able to kind of like nudge you in the right direction. Or, um, if somebody's asking me a very basic question, answer that or, um, tips or tricks, right. We're all trying to navigate postpartum and baby sleep together. Honestly, if people want to give me tips for that, my baby doesn't sleep. Um, so that part has been overwhelming and, and feeling this intense pressure, um, is is maybe too strong of a word, but um, responsibility to give the best information and to make sure that I'm not giving out any sort of false narrative or, or things that aren't true is is really vitally important to me and and for my integrity as as a nurse and as a fellow mom too. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I want to talk about how funny you are because I think you're really funny and hilarious and your videos I think you really go you're I think you have wonderful natural comedic timing and I also think that your videos draw people in with humor Mm -hmm. and you can educate people on their options and their choices like you were saying which is really the top tier goal about helping people understand what what their choices are but you do it in a way where I'm just like this girl is face down like booty up like literally with with like balls (laughs) exercise balls in a tub all these things like you really go there and I'm curious you know how that choice was made like like, did is that fun for you? I mean, you seem like you're having a lot of fun, like and being silly. Um, yeah. Where where did that come from? Uh, I think I I mean I think that I'm funny. I I don't know if you're allowed to say that. I really enjoy being silly, and I think that when you are teaching something, the ways that you remember it best is is if it's paired with something funny or it's paired with something like shocking, mm-hmm. and I don't necessarily well I mean maybe I have different definitions of shocking I don't ever want to be negatively shocking like I don't want nurses in general are pretty funny we have a dark sense of humor and I think sometimes especially I see TikToks and stuff I I don't know if you remember the infamous like ics video where like these labor nurses were talking negatively about their patients um, and I want to be funny, but not be making fun of anybody, particularly yes. making fun of patients. And so um, I'm going to be in a silly, goofy mood most of the time. And humor is how I like to just make things easier to understand and also maybe break some tension. But I never want to be like making fun of doctors or yeah. nurses or patients or support people too much. Support people maybe is the one I'll make fun of the most, right? But <laughs> Yes. I mean, but not I, a specific person, just like a general <laughs> overbearing random aunt that we all have. Right. Of course. Yes. And <laughs> I think 
<laughs> I think you do it in a way where, like you were saying, it's relatable, it's digestible, and it helps people remember that mm-hmm. particular piece of information. Um, and, you know, I think you recently posted a video about an epidural and it was really funny. And I love that there is that educational component and relatability for people who have been there or like an understanding of, hey, this is kind of wackadoodle that we're just like birthing humans and Mm -hmm. that we're just in front of a crowd of people when we're doing it sometimes. And like this, it's a very vulnerable situation with our parts that are just around and open because you I feel like that just all falls away and you just don't care and you're just open and like available for help and assistance and community. And I think you like really shine a light on all of that. And I'm curious, what does your community look like and how are you supported? My community, like, like my professionally and personally. Yeah. Well, I have a whole bunch of great coworkers who I have worked with some of them for 10 years, and we are all so supportive of each other and working together and problem solving, especially too. just a few weeks ago, um, wasn't my patient, but we had this patient come in and her labor wasn't progressing. And we had three nurses in there helping her change positions. And she was able to birth vaginally and only pushed for 20 minutes, which was her goal with her last baby. She had pushed for four hours. Uh, so she was like terrified of that happening again. So I just, I really feel like we're all on the same team there to keep our patients um, safe and to, and to help them have the births that they're hoping for. So I love that. Um, and then at home, I am lucky enough to have family around who is really supportive. My sister-in-law who got the baby when she was crying a few minutes ago, lives with us for about half the week. And so she kind of goes back and forth between her parents' house and our house. She was with us full-time because for a while there, my husband was in grad school and working full-time. So, and I had pretty bad postpartum depression and a new baby. And so she kind of came and helped us there. So that was honestly miraculous as well to have that extra support. And I wish that everybody had that because it's really, it's hard when you don't have family or friends nearby to help you after you've had a baby. And I think that the pandemic really kind of shot us in the foot for a whole host of reasons, including, you know, so many people's lives were ended and affected, but also in the fact that like, I think people don't know how to to even find a village now if they don't have friends or family nearby. Yeah. I mean, personally, that's a challenge for me. And I think that, you know, for so much of what you're saying, it's really, there's a lot of disparity um, with maternal health and its effect in every aspect of our lives, um, whether it's support during pregnancy and then in postpartum, um, I was fortunate enough to have maternity leave, um, but there are so many women and and people who are giving birth that do not have that. And it's so backwards, um, especially I'm sure in what you do to see people who don't have support at a fundamental level, a fundamental structural level in our country. 
And, you know, going, going from there, that community and support for, for moms and their mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, you know, I had a horrible postpartum experience with anxiety and, um, being, giving birth during COVID and, and having, you know, this, this life where it was so unexpected. And I'm grateful you've shared your experience and, um, yeah, I'm curious in your experience and from what you've seen for those people who don't have as much support are what sort of resources have you seen out there for folks? I've talked about the motherhood center here in New York. That was really helpful for me personally. Is there anything that you've seen that has been helpful maybe for you or others? Yeah, well, I can speak kind of in my area, my hospital throughout all of COVID and now still obviously um, now that the pandemic restrictions have lifted some is we've had support groups that were, they went virtual and now still some virtual, still online. Um, I think there are a lot of resources that are available, but they're a little bit hidden. So like we have a postpartum doula group here that is amazing and they're on a sliding scale. We have uh, birth doulas here that are free for women of color in my area, which is amazing. But I don't think that people even know about these resources. So that's one thing that you might even ask at your hospital. They might have a list of resources for you and a list of support groups that you can join that are local to you in your area that I think a lot of times people don't think about. And I think too, um, talking about going back to work and not getting maternity leave, the thing that I hear almost constantly when I'm discharging patients on postpartum, right? And we're trying to fit all of this education into a really short period of time. So I just briefly touch on, but I'll be like, oh, are you planning on going back to work? And they'll be like, oh no, well, not for three months. And I don't think people realize how short those three months actually are um, in the preparation to go back to work. And like, they go by like a flash. And the fact that we we're going back to work at three months postpartum and we have these tiny little babies at home and ourselves who are tiny little mothers or tiny little new parents in this like really awkward phase of matriescence. I don't know if you've heard of that phrase. It's just, yes, it, it breaks my heart, but also like it's the reality. And it's like, how do you help set somebody up for like that reality when they're leaving the hospital postpartum? So I'll touch a little bit about pumping and going back to work and, um, you know, introducing a bottle to your baby and things that you are having to think about now, because if you wait until those three months, like you're not going to have time to get it all sorted. So it's just, it's wild. And if I think about it too hard, I'll cry, (laughs) but um, I don't know how we could better support new parents in their roles, but there's, there needs to be something because I mean, people sometimes go back to work as early as like just a few weeks to even like, you know, days postpartum, even I've heard of people having to go back to work. It's inhumane. In my opinion, it's, um, it's inhumane when you can see like, there's a threshold for like puppies being adopted that like we don't have for women who are giving birth um, or people giving birth in our country. And it's like, it's, it's very off in, in being supportive of families and being supportive of people who have had something majorly medically 
and then mentally and everything like you're saying. Um, I appreciate you sharing those resources. And I think that like that suggestion to look into your hospital's resources is so smart. Um, if people are choosing to give birth in a hospital and I think like just everything that you're saying is, is really on point. And I think structurally we need more support, you know, and we need more, um, and we're used to dust, like we're used to not even crumbs, like the essence of maybe a cookie. Um, and I think that, um, the work that you're doing is gorgeous. And I have been so excited to connect with you and really thrilled that, you took the time to chat with me today and I really appreciate your time. Um, before we end, is there anything um, you might want people to know about your work or resources that you have um, or anything that, you know, revolves around your work before we go? Um, I think what the best thing to do with my work <laughs> or with any of my videos or information that you're reading online ever is, you know, you need to come at everything with a discerning brain. Don't trust me just because I'm a nurse on the internet. Don't trust people who are doctors on the internet necessarily, right? Um, but use those tools and those resources and that information to go out and ask your trusted healthcare providers about your specific case, about what's going on with you specifically. Um, use resources and people will say, do your own research, but really what they mean is gather research that's already been done, right? By evidence-based um, peer-reviewed studies. And then that's kind of where I get my information that I try and make it the most accessible to the public, but really just using things that you read online, things that you find online to start a conversation. And then if you feel like your healthcare provider isn't willing to start a conversation and give you all the information that they have and listen to the information that you have, then maybe you find a, a different healthcare provider that's willing to have that conversation um, because they obviously have been through years of schooling but they need to be able to talk with you, even if what you're coming with is not the correct information, talk with you and help you find a solution that feels best and right for you and also makes sense versus just shutting you down completely. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. And thank you for the work that you're doing. Um, my favorite thing that you just said is don't trust an internet nurse. <laughs> I mean, I'm very trustworthy, but you don't have to trust But it's so good. It's like, it's great to hear you say these things because it's like, yeah, like you should feel empowered and like you can Mm -hmm. advocate for yourself and state your needs. And that's what we need on every level of our lives to spend, especially when we're seeing so much disparity in in our existence. And so I really appreciate you and um, the work that you do. Thank you for coming on the Amplify Her podcast. I mean, I'm just so grateful. And um, I wish I could give you like a real hug, but I'm giving you a virtual hug. And um, I I can't uh, wait to see what you continue to do. And um, yeah, thank you. Thank you. If you're listening to this, remember your voice matters and your story matters. And I'll see you on the next episode of the Amplify Her podcast. I am so grateful that you've listened to this episode of the Amplify Her podcast. If you're listening to this and you don't follow the show, one thing that would help the show tremendously is if you open that Apple app, if you're listening to it on Apple, 
click on the title of the show and on the top right hand corner, click that plus sign so you don't miss an episode. Not only does it help me to grow this show, but it helps you to be in the loop when episodes drop every Wednesday and every Friday. If you're listening to this show on Spotify, click on the show title of this episode to take you to the full listing of them and click follow. That way you won't miss a new episode as it comes out. For more information about the Amplify Her podcast, Amplify Her media, and the Amplify Her networking group, head to www.amplifyhermedia.com.